0: Well, good morning and greetings to each one. I, with the Bible study there, I thought of the Apostle Paul, Philippians, it might have been in the lesson, talking about those who were preaching while he was in prison and making life a little difficult for him. And he mentioned uh, whether it's in sincerity or not. That is really amazing, really amazing. I'm not sure if I know how to live that one out. <laughs> Where do you discourage something, encourage something? But uh, may we continue to keep our eyes on Jesus and walking in the Spirit. Trust that we'll find our way through those things. So, <clears throat> well, I invite you to travel with me today back into the corridors of time. <clears throat> Follow me back. Back before any of you were born, even if you're here and you are 60 years old. Back before our time, back before Columbus sailed the uncharted world of the uh, waters of the Atlantic. Even back farther, back beyond that great event That marks, that we mark all of time by. Jesus Christ coming into the world. Before Christ. After Christ. Which was some 2,000 years ago. Let us go back in history through the Jewish age. Back beyond the time of the patriarch Abraham. Beyond the flood when people were multiplied upon the face of the earth. And man was sinful and God destroyed the world with a flood. Only those who were saved that were in the boat. Today, we're going back before time as we know it. Back before time as we know it. For the earth and all the heavenly bodies were created. Back to a time for all that we know might have only been God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So back there at time. Before time. Before the creation. Before the formation of anything as we know it tangible today. Getting a, just a little glimpse from the word. That there may have been a collaboration between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When we have that Familiar verse, Genesis one twenty six, and God said, "Let us make man in our own image." Seems as we read that little phrase, that there was some collaboration, some uh, dialogue, some interaction among the the uh, Godhead. <clears throat> let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Let us, speaks of collaboration, a decision, something formulated among them, a plan, a sketch in the mind of the eternal ones. We will make a man, we're going to make a world for this man to live in. And we're going to give him dominion in this world. If we go to the uh, Malachi, the second chapter, we get maybe a little bit or bigger window into this formulation, sketch in the mind, a plan, a collaboration. Malachi 2.15, it says, Did not he make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? And he answers his own question. And the answer to the question of wherefore, one, is that he might seek a godly seed. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. Let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. One thing of utmost importance in this blueprint, as was given here, is that it was of utmost importance that the man that he was making would repopulate And each succeeding generation would reproduce a people who loved God. So as the Godhead collaborated together, they said, we're going to make an earth. We're going to put animals in the earth. We're going to put plants in the earth. We're going to have water in the earth. We're going to have all these things. We're going to have man with dominion. But he said, we're going to have this repopulation. And when he considered repopulation, I believe it was utmost, as we see here, that the repopulation of the world would continue to be godly. And so I just imagine as they collaborated together and they were deciding if we can put them into at all the way we would reason, that What would be the best way? What would be the most effective way to have a godly seed? I believe we're told here in Malachi that they came up with this wonderful plan. We're going to make man. And we're going to make a woman. We're going to make one man and one woman for life. I believe that'll be the most effective way to have a godly seed. We see here he could have done it in many different ways. It says... Yet had he the residue of the spirit, he had the power to create it in whatever way he wanted to. He could have made it in so many different other ways. But he chose one specific way. One man, one woman for life. Why? That he might have a godly seat. You see how Satan's messing that one up today? Do you know how busy he is at destroying that one? He had the residue of the spirit. A lot of other options. He was the creator. He could have done many different things however he wanted. He made the blueprint. He created the print. No one told them what to do. But from eternity past, they looked down through the corridors of time. The whole way down to today, May 12th of 2019. And decided we really want this thing to work. We need one man and one woman for life so that we can have a godly seed. I think that is totally amazing. Genesis 2.7 says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. This word formed, if you look in your Strong's number h 3334 says through squeezing into shape. And so all of the rest of creation was just simply spoken into existence. But man was squeezed into formation. It sounds like a little bit of work went into it. That's exactly what this, the uh, strong says. Through the squeezing into shape. Telling us that God made Man, similar, in a similar fashion as we would think of a potter in days gone by on the potter wheel forming this piece of pottery and continuing to form it until it became a beautiful vessel. And so there was some time put into it. Now the mind of God, he in the mind of God, he had already formulated in his mind How he would make the woman. He made the man. He made the woman. And as he was making the man, he already had in his mind the blueprint for a woman. He didn't make the man and then look at the man and say, well, now, how can I do this? How shall I do this? I believe that he already had the formulation of how he would make woman. So he made the man, man and woman, the same and yet so uniquely different. The same so as to be compatible one to another, but different so as to complement one another. And so they go to work making a man. So we'll make the man. Now we're making a man. We know how we're going to make the woman. We're going to make the man. We're going to make him a little bigger boned. We're going to make him just a little bit taller than What we're going to make the woman, we're going to make him a little more rugged, and we will identify his ruggedness by making him a little more hairy. And since he will have to earn his bread by the sweat of his brow, we'll make him a little more muscular than what the woman is. We're going to make some strong endurance so they don't wear out right away. And we're going to put within the man that spirit to conquer, to get a hold of something and to finish it through. We're going to wire him to be decisive in his thinking, a bit fearless in his approach to life, and creative in his thinking. So creative that they can create things in their mind as they're sitting in the church pew. It says, and so God formed the man, squeezing him into shape. And he breathed into him the breath of life. And guess what? Here we have this side of the room. He did this all with intention. Back in Malachi says he wanted a godly seed. He did it all with intention. But God said it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a help meet, and for some reason, God wanted to teach Adam a lesson. And He passed all the Adam, uh, all the animals before Adam, and He named them all. And it said, and yet there was not found a help meet. Well, now that wasn't God in a perplexing moment. God already, before time, before uh, as we know it, the creation of the earth and all that, I believe he had a blueprint of how he would build not only man, but the woman also. It says, so he caused the deep sleep to come over Adam. He took a rib from his side and with the rib which God had taken from the side of man, he made a woman. Made he a woman. This word made. So we consider the word formed. Squeezing into shape. This word made in its primitive form meant to build. So he squeezed the man into shape and he built the woman into shape. I don't know if there's some significance in that or not. I would like to think Man's more rugged, and you just squeeze him into shape, and he became a living soul. A woman, build him into shape. God built a woman. It reminds me of Psalms 139. You can turn in your Bibles there for a little bit of reading. Building a woman... I think God is still building men and women in the womb. Psalms 139 and verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reigns. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully built, made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knoweth right well, my substance was not hid from thee when I was made in the secret and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. And in that book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious are also are thy thoughts unto me. O God, how great is the sum of them. We see here the building of every human being very uniquely. God knows the members, the body parts, exactly how he's going to make them. With short nose, long nose, big ears, small ears, you name it. He knew it all. So God built a woman. He said, I will make her a little smaller frame overall than a man. She will be a helpmeet. A help suitable for the man. A perfect match to him in every way. I will make her finer featured, not so ruddy like a man. She will not have the muscular build as a man. Why? Because we have quite a different plan for the woman. Not quite the stamina. Why? So that she will sense her dependency upon the male for his Protection and provisions. We will make her with a little more sensitivity to her surroundings. How she feels and what she senses. We will produce offspring from the woman along with the man. The woman carrying in her womb for 42 weeks. The formation of a godly seed. Why 42 weeks? Maybe to begin the bonding process. We will make her with a capacity to love, love her children with an almost unbreakable passion. And the Bible says he brought the woman to Adam and Adam said, Now this is my bone, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Happy Mother's Day, sisters. God has built you. You're unique. You have been made for a very, very specific purpose, and you have a very important role to fill. There was a woman by the name of Irma, Irma Bobex, and she made a tribute or wrote a tribute or gave a tribute to her mother. And I found this after I had been contemplating and put this together, but she said it this way, which she did probably a lot better job than I did, says, while God was creating, or she wrote, while God was creating mothers, he was into his sixth day of overtime. And an angel appeared and said, you're doing a lot of fiddling around with this one. And the Lord said, have you read the specs on this one? She has to be completely washable. Have 180 movable parts, all replaceable, run on black coffee and leftovers, Have a lap that disappears when she stands up, a kiss to cure a broken leg, and six pairs of hands. The angel shook his head slowly and said, six pairs of hands? No way. It's not the hands that are causing the problem, said the Lord. It's the three pairs of eyes that mothers have to have. The angel asked, is that on the standard model? The Lord nodded one pair that sees through closed doors when she has what are you children doing over there when she already knows another on the back of her head. And so that she sees what she shouldn't, but what she has to know. And of course, the ones on the front that can look at a child when he goofs up and say, I understand and I love you without as much as uttering a word. I can't quit now. I already have one that heals herself when sick. She can feed a family of six on one pound of hamburger and get a nine-year-old to stand under a shower. The angel circled the model of the mother very slowly. It is soft, but tough, the Lord said. You cannot imagine what this mother can do or endure. Can it think? Not only can it think, but can reason and compromise and dream, said the creator. Finally, the angel bent over and ran his finger across the cheek. He said, there's a leak. I told you, you were trying to put too much into this model. It's not a leak. It's a tear. Well, what is it there for? It's for joy, sadness, disappointment, pain, and loneliness. You're a genius. And the Lord looked somber. But I didn't put it there. Sisters, if you will fill the role you are called to and fill it well, it will return to you in blessing upon blessing. So this morning, having been suggested, I would like to preach an encouraging message. The nobility of motherhood. The nobility of motherhood, if you will fill the role you're called to and fill it well, it will return to you in blessing turning your Bible to First Timothy chapter 2, First Timothy 2, just for a few encouraging thoughts to you mothers this morning. We have here the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy and giving some direction that a woman is does not have the responsibility to teach. Verse 12 of Second Timothy chapter 2. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. Sisters, if you fill your role and fill it well, you will reap blessing upon blessing. It says here, you do not have the responsibility, and I'm guessing most every one of you sisters are ever so glad that you don't have to stand up front here and teach this whole group of people. I would guess that most of you, and I see your heads nodding, wouldn't even enjoy it. And God bless you because that is not your part. There are many ladies today who would like to do that and are doing it. I want to tell you that if they were really honest, many of them would say... That that isn't the most fulfilling thing in life. It can't be because God said clearly here through the Apostle Paul, it is not your responsibility to go around teaching usurping authority over the man. You do have a specific call. And that call is to raise up children and pour your life into your children. And if you would do it in godliness, you will find a blessing that will come back to you over and over again. What is he saying? Did we get it? When God built you, he squeezed into uh, form the man and he made him how he wanted to. But he built you specifically not to dominate, not to rule over a man. He has built you to be a complement to uh, the man. And you have a very real and central role, and that is bringing children into the world. You will find your greatest potential and fulfillment in filling your role. Adam, Genesis 3.20, says that Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Well, now you might sit here and you might say, well, what if I am that young lady who will never have the privilege of being married. Well, then how will I find fulfillment? I have a sister who is, I don't even know, probably in her upper thirties, probably in her low forties. She has taught school for many, many years. She is a school teacher and a uh, little Two-room Amish Mennonite school. She's been a teacher there for many years. I don't know how many years. Some of the families from Living Hope send their children to that school. And I can tell you one of the reasons they send them to that school is because of the teacher. I've talked to them. I know it. They, the parents love their teacher. The teacher for their children. My sister takes a tremendous interest in the lives of those children. I mean, it is her life. She pours her time into it. I am have without doubt that she prays for those children. And she follows them when they're out of school. She has made a lot of connections. Many a sister has found a deep fulfillment in teaching school. Maybe it's uh, an, another thing would be my sister has has had the opportunity to take a lot of interest in her nieces and nephews. She carries them on her heart. She's just fulfilling what God has purposed for her in her life. And so she pours her life in. She has bought a house a number of years ago, and right beside her, I mean, it is... it is uh, A child could throw a stone that far to the neighbor's house, and it's a Wenger Mennonite family, and they have a whole host of children. And those children, some of those little children, come over to her house Sunday morning. She combs the girls. She gets them ready for church. She helps the parents get the children. She's just so involved that, I mean, you couldn't have better neighbors. Such a blessing. And so you might be sitting here and saying, well, this message, huh? What does this have to do with me? I might never get married. might mean a lot. I believe God has created and built each one of us for a specific role. Ladies, influence. I submit to you today to consider your influential role in the bringing up of children. You have a place to fill. A loving connection that is just a bit superior to that of a man. Now, we men, we have it. A lot of influence in our homes and in our children's lives. But I would submit to you, ladies, that I think your influence is a bit superior. You know, I've seen it. Teenagers have a little bit harder time to defy their mother than to defy their father. Happens. Why is that? You mothers have a very unique connection that teenagers have a little harder time defying you. God has endued you with a special helping of love and gentleness and emotional connection that no one else in the world can fill. I think it is, and my hat is off to those that take in other children that are not their own. My hat is off. The desire to fill that child with love and care and blessing and to fill a need that God has put in every child. No one can take your place. Not even your husband. I thought it was unique one time. Numbers of years ago when there was a family, a husband and a wife and a couple of children. And the wife had a better opportunity to make a living than the husband did. And so they made this deal. He's going to stay home and he's going to change the diapers and he's going to feed the children. He's going to clean up after him and she's going to go off to work. And I thought, well, how humble, how, how humble for a man to be willing, but you know, I'm not so sure that, That's so great. A husband can never replace his wife. God squeezed the man into shape. He built a woman. And they're uniquely different. And we got our roles to fill. We got our roles to fill. Over and over. We're talking about influence. Over and over again. In the book of Kings. And his mother was so-and-so. I suspect that that indicates the influence of a mother. The influence of a mother. First Kings 2.20, when King Solomon's mother came to him, listen to what he said. Then she said, I desire one small petition of thee, I pray thee, Say me not nay. And the king said unto her, Ask on, my mother, for I will not say the nay. You have a place of influence. Very tremendous place of influence. Ask on, my mother, for I will not say the nay. And I think he did say no. Second Timothy 1-5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois, in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Your influence will be so important in the lives of the children that God has given to you. Think of the power of influence. I don't know if I did my math right, but my parents in my family, there are 10 of us, and my parents had, and I forget the exact number, 90-some grandchildren. They now have, I think it must be about 110 great-grandchildren, and that thing just started. The scope of the influence is amazing. So you just take my family, there's 10 of us. And so there's 80 or 90 grandchildren. So if we do the math, that's 8.5 children per each one of us family members. And you take that of, of, uh, say 80, let's just say 85 grandchildren. I think there's a few more than that. And you take that times 8.5. The next generation could hit 722. And the following, the great-great-grandchildren could hit 6,077. My parents could have 6,077 great-great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. The scope of influence is amazing. I'm going to guess that you women, if you were to have a number of children, And the opportunity to influence this world is so great. I imagine it'll be much more influential than I can ever be standing in the pulpit for 30 or 40 years. I think your scope of influence will be more influential. I know that you're in the middle of it now. And it might be a little hard to see. Staying up. For many hours at night. It may be a little hard to see. But I think I could speak for my wife. She went through those years. We had nine children. She could tell you all the times that she stayed up. And all the times she cared for the sick babies. And all the times that she missed out on things. Because she had to stay home with the sick babies. And the list goes on and on. And how she has maybe failed in her motherhood. and, and, And felt so undone in the middle of it. Here we are. We now have seven grandchildren and we enjoy it. We enjoy it. A blessing. And I only, if God gives us life, I only think we will continue to enjoy it. You sisters, you have a place of comfort to fill in the life of a child that no one else can fill like you. A child normally will go to his mother for his deepest needs of comfort. A father, child falls, hurts themselves. The father quickly picks him up. They want their mom. Why is that? The mother can fill the deepest needs of comfort in the child. That happened over and over again for me. I wanted to comfort the child. It wasn't fair. He wanted to go to his mother. Well, it is okay because... I believe that mothers were made to fill the deepest need. God even used you all as an object lesson in this area of comfort, Isaiah sixty six thirteen, as one whom his mother comforteth, so I will comfort you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. So he picked you as mothers to be an example of how he would comfort his people. You have a place to fill. I believe. That no one else has. Not even your husband. God cares about you. He knows all too well the challenges of motherhood. And we could go on to some of the familiar verses. And I could try to convince you this morning. That these verses are specifically for you. You need to take them specifically for you. Like casting all your care upon him. For he careth for you. Words of comfort for the weary soul. Hebrews 2.18 For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. But I'd like to give you a very specific verse that I think is specific for you. Yes, you, a mother. God cares for you. He cares for you no matter where you are, how many children you have hanging on your skirt or if you're in the middle of a gestation, you have you are you. He has a very specific verse for you. And I think you should consider writing this verse as frontlets to your eyes, as we're all commanded to do with the word of God. Isaiah, turning your Bible to Isaiah chapter 40. You need to see this verse. Specific for you all. Verses 10 and 11. Isaiah chapter 40. Let's start in verse 9. O Zion, that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God, behold, the Lord God will come with strong hand. And his, in his arm shall rule and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. And if we stop right there, we see a king. We see a mighty king coming to reign on the earth. But look at the next verse. "This king, who is so strong, so powerful, he's coming to rule." it says in verse 11, "He shall feed his flock like a shepherd." That's so beautiful, every one of us. We don't have some king that is untouched. He just sits in a throne and he's looking down uh, across his nose. And you better beat yourself into shape or you'll be in trouble. It's not who this king is. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms. And carry them in his bosom. And shall gently lead those that are with young. He's using the illustration of a shepherd. You know, shepherds care about their sheep. Shepherds really care about their sheep. They will feed them. They'll make sure they have plenty of water and plenty of feed. And they'll go out of their way to make sure that they got the best pasture. The little lamb. That can hardly keep up to its mother. And it's struggling. And every now and then it stumbles and falls. He will grab that one. And he will carry it. And I don't know enough about shepherds. But I imagine sheep. The mother sheep will be walking right alongside. But he didn't say get up you little one. He took it up into his arms. And he carried it. Carried it in his bosom. And shall gently lead those that are with young. Amazing. He knows just the right speed to go. He knows exactly the path to take because he's interested in those with young. So that's a very specific verse for you today. Well, you might say, I know all of that, but one of the things I struggle with is I feel like such a poor mother. I try so hard. My wife is still schooling. The numbers are counting down, but she's still schooling. And with everything that went on this past school year, she was feeling like a poor mom. Really feeling like a poor mom. And it was time for evaluations. And I said, well, just like I do every time, I think... I think it'll be all right. I don't know. You mothers know, going to the evaluator and wondering what they're going to say, and maybe they'll scold you, and I think we have an evaluator sitting here. She went to the evaluator, and when she came back, I said, how did it go? She couldn't believe it. She was so blessed with the work that the children did. I'm not sure what I said. I could have said, see, I told you. (laughs) But it is a reality. We feel like poor moms. And so we try so hard and we get impatient. And then we repent. And we decide we're not going to be impatient again. Then we get impatient again. And it goes on. I have just the thought for you this morning. You poor mom. Just a thought for you that God has given to me and it's been a blessing to me and I'd like to hand it on to you all. Well, you might say, OK, I know already what for verse you're going to give things like don't be weary and well doing for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. It's a good verse, real good verse. A powerful verse. It's a call to press on, fight on, don't give up. The blessings are innumerable. That's not what I want to share with you this morning. Let's think about it. Has God ever asked us to do something that he is not willing to do himself? Has God ever asked us to do something that he's not willing to do? Well, you might say, well, he asked us to repent and he never has to repent. But think about it. Does God ask us to do something that he would never do himself? I'm talking about how we, we're, we're at times of So I know some young mothers who struggle with sick children and they feel like a poor mom. I don't do a good job. Why do my children always sick? And they beat themselves up. Or I see a mother who's been fighting and wanting so much to be a good mom, and yet she fails. Not just one time a day, but two times a day, three times a day, sometimes maybe even four times a day. But does God ever ask anything of us that he's not willing to do himself? And this thought came to me one day. You know, Peter came to Jesus and said, "How often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times?" And Jesus says, "I don't say unto you till seven times. I say unto you, seven times seven. And as that thought came to me, you know, I face some of the same things. I'm a failure at times, and I fail more than once in a day. And then I feel like a Good for nothing. And then I start to question my relationship with God. Is he going to forgive me? And it hit me and it's been such a blessing. If God said, not till seven times, but till 70 times seven, I'm convinced that he'll do the same for me. So I fail. I sin. And I say, oh, I hate it. I don't want to be this way. God, forgive me. Help me to be. And I rise up and I do the same thing over again, just maybe an hour later. And I know how it goes. Children bring some of the biggest frustrations out of us and in us and through us. And we tell them no, and they'll do it again. And we tell them no, and we get a little angry, and we repent. And they'll do it again, and then we get impatient again. And after a while, we feel like a poor mom. You remember that God doesn't ask of us something he's not willing to do himself. And so if he asked of us to forgive, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Be encouraged. Let's talk about the importance of motherhood. In Matthew 25, it talks there about dividing the sheep and the goats. Goats. The difference was those who were willing to sacrifice their time to help those in need versus those that were not. And some of the things we see there in that chapter is, you know, you have those that were hungry, those that were thirsty, those that were a stranger, those that were naked, those that were sick, and those that were in prison. And, of course, the righteous said, when have we done this? And Jesus' response, or in the parable, the response was, much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And I looked at that and I said, well, how many here, how many of these things fit for a mother in the home? How many of you mothers have to feed your babies? More than once a day. When you're nursing them, it's every couple of hours. They're hungry and they cry out. They're thirsty. They want something to eat. And what do you do? You feed them. You feed them. They're naked. They've got to be clothed. Diapers have to be changed. As much as you've done it onto the least of these, my brethren, Jesus said, you've done it onto me. Do your children ever get sick? They get sick sometimes. As much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren. You've done it unto me. And don't you try to argue that away that that's got to be someone out there. I believe it can also be our very own children. If you willingly and lovingly sacrifice to feed, to give a drink, to clothe, and to care for those sick children. In the end, I believe... There's a possibility there'll be mothers who will say, when did I do that? And God will say, remember May 12, 2019, you went to bed that night and the baby was sick and you only got two hours of sleep. Oh, I didn't think of that. The importance of motherhood. Anyone here feel the tug of the skirt and hear the little voice? I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink? Nah, go mind your own business. We wouldn't do that. Here, let me get you a drink. Anyone here get up in the middle of the night to feed their baby? Some of you mothers, many times. How many here have found themselves changing the baby's whole set of clothes for the the third time in the same day? How many here have sat through the night swabbing the feverish brow of a little one? As much as you've done it unto me, unto the one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Feeding the baby, changing the diapers, losing sleep because of sick children, I'm here to tell you is as noble as doing something to Jesus himself. You got it? It's as noble. The nobility of motherhood. Is it more noble to find a homeless person on the street and buy them a sandwich? We might think so. But I don't believe God thinks so. I don't think God thinks so. Think today of all the opportunity. You have to serve Jesus. You got one. Two, three, four. If you're a school teacher, you have 15 or 20. Look at all the opportunity you have to serve Jesus. In conclusion, I have here a letter written by a son giving his mother due credit for what he became. Someone said it was one of the most beautiful letters ever written. It was addressed, it was written by a Scottish essayist and historian. His name was Thomas Carlyle, and he wrote this commendation to his mother, Margaret, Margaret Carlyle. The letter was only found after he had died. Mr. Froude was going through his stuff and found this letter with the inscription, my last letter to my mother. And this is what it said. My dear mother, let it ever be a comfort to you, however weak you are, that you did your part honorably and well in strength and were a noble mother to me and to us all. I am now myself grown old and had various things to do and suffer for so many years. But there is nothing I ever had to be so much thankful for as the mother I had. That is a truth which I know well, and perhaps this day again it may be some comfort to you. Yes, surely, for if there had been good in all things I have uttered in this world's hearing. He was an essayist. He wrote many articles. For if there had been good in all things I have uttered in this world's hearing, it was your voice essentially that was speaking through me. Essentially, what you and my brave father meant and taught me to mean, this was the purport of all I spoke and wrote. And if in the few years that may remain to me, I am to get any more written to the world, the essence of it, so far as it is worthy and good, will still be yours. May God reward you, my dearest mother, for all you have done for me. I never can. Now, we could argue with that letter and say, well, almost sounds like his mother took the place of God. Well, the truth of the letter is that, mother, you are influential. You will leave your mark on this world. And today, just a few scattered thoughts of encouragement to you all. Fill your place of motherhood. Fill it well, and you will find fulfillment. Take those verses today that are so specific for you as mothers and wear them as frontlets on your eyes. Keep them ever before you be encouraged, fresh vision and desire and purpose as you pour your life into your children. God bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for the privilege Of considering the nobility of motherhood. We know that in eternity past you had a plan. You wanted a godly seed. And so you squeezed into shape a man. And you built a woman. Father, I pray for the fathers. That they would fulfill their responsibility. To their wives rising up and calling them blessed. Being there, even as it says a woman needs to submit to her husband, even as the church to Christ, because he's the savior of the body. Father, I pray for those on the left side of the room, those who have wives and children, that they would be that savior of the body, bringing protection and provisions to their wives. Father, I pray a special blessings on the dear sisters who have Children or who are involved in children's lives. The effect. The influence. Father, I pray that you would encourage. If there's any sister here who feels like a poor mom. God, that you would strengthen her in the inner man. She would see her calling. And she would embrace her calling. And she would fill her calling well. Lift up the hands that are hanging down, strengthen the feeble knees, make plain paths for these mother's feet so that that which is lame would not be turned out of the way. I pray a special blessing on each mother today. As we consider the nobility of motherhood. For we pray it in Jesus name. Amen.